Let's get rolling. Um, I'm excited this week to, to continue with what we started a couple of weeks ago. Um, in, in Romans, we've been in Romans for a while, um, but we're getting to kind of the, the good stuff, not kind of the good stuff, really the good stuff. Um, in fact, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that, uh, that there's a, a theologian who said this is the most important paragraph ever written, and in, in everything that's been written throughout all time, this is the most important paragraph. Um, and I have to agree with him in some ways. It's, it's, it's an amazing paragraph. Um, it, uh, it started with verse, verses 21 through 23, which we went through. And I'm just going to read those real quick to refresh our memory because it leads right into what we're doing today. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I talked about a couple weeks ago the fact that, that there's this new way. We've been talking for a couple months now about the fact that our efforts to please God are completely useless. They've been proven to be useless. That either um, there are parts of humanity throughout time that have been just totally a disaster. We can look at them and say, that was a total disaster. You know, Nazi Germany, that was a total disaster. Um, but then there's this other flip side of things where we go, yeah, those people are, are, are a disaster, but I am pretty good because my disaster doesn't look like their disaster. And we try to justify ourselves and make ourselves feel better and think that we have some sort of standing with God because maybe I'm a little bit more moral than someone else. Um, but as the, the illustration went uh, a few weeks ago, whether you have a sewage drink that has a little bit of sewage in it, or you have a sewage drink that has a lot of sewage in it, no one's drinking that drink, right? Can we agree on that? Um, so, um, and, and God is not, is not drinking anything we have to offer. He's, he, our righteousness means nothing to him. They are, it is filthy rags. It is, it is useless to him. Our efforts have fallen way short of the efforts that he, that he has called us to, which is perfection. And, um, and so that whole road of trying to be moral and trying to be good is a complete and utter waste of our time. And hopefully we are convinced of that at this point. We spend enough time in that kind of negative place that we're convinced that my efforts are completely and utterly worthless. But, then he said, but now, right? But now there's this new way that has absolutely nothing to do with what we do and our goodness and our morality and our ethics and our goodness. And it's a completely new way to do things. It's a way that's being manifested, that was manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. That the righteousness of God, that we can attain the righteousness of God, the perfection that God requires, because we actually stop trusting in ourselves to please God and trust in another who is pleasing, completely pleasing to God, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Because we have all fallen way, way short of the standard that that we are called to. Sometimes um, I, I've had a lot of these conversations where people go, well, you know, I'm not Jesus or I'm not God. But we got to realize that we were created. Our very being, our very existence, the f function we were supposed to serve was to 
reflect the glory of God. That was the reason why we're on this planet. There's no other reason. And we have fallen far, far short of that purpose. And um, thankfully, thankfully, we have Jesus to, to, um, to give us his righteousness. But it does require something of us. It requires this thing called faith, which, we, which Paul will talk about a lot over the next five chapters, which is us trusting in someone, a being outside of ourselves, which takes something from us. It's hard for us. It's in fact why there isn't universal salvation in the world. It's because faith requires us to let go. It requires us to say, my life is not mine anymore. My life is yours. I've made a wreck of my life. I cannot do anything good. my, My best efforts at being ethical and moral have fallen way short of your standard. I have to let go of my efforts and trust in you. And so this new way of faith, he's, he's revealed. And, 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 it's, and I say new way, and he says new way, but then he says, well, it's not really a new way, right? And in fact, in chapter 4, he's going he's gonna to prove it to us that God's plan has always been faith. Always. From the beginning. Um, it's no different than it is today. So then he keeps going. Here in, in verse 24. Oh, it's some really good stuff. I'm going to try to keep myself from getting too excited here this morning. He says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. There are five words. This is so packed. This verse and a half is so packed with these words that are these profound concepts. They're all five of them are things that we can understand pretty quickly, and we'll, we'll talk about kind of that, 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 that way to understand them pretty quickly. But all five of them also, you can spend the rest of your life plumbing the depths of all five of these things because they're just so complex and so amazing and have so many um, uh, ripple effects that come from these concepts. The first one he says is being justified. Justified means to be vindicated for the charges to be dropped. In, in the first century, in, in, you know, this is written in Greek, it was written in the first century, this word was pretty much always confined to judicial procedures, like court procedures. They didn't have quite courts like we have courts, but that kind of idea, legal proceedings. And really it's the idea, I think the easiest way to understand it is, it's being declared not guilty. The gavel comes down and the judge says, not guilty. Now, what's the problem with that? We've discovered that you and I are completely and utterly guilty. So how does that work? Well, he declares us not guilty. And not only declares us not guilty, but makes us not guilty. He vindicates us. He, um, he sets us free. We're the accused. We stand condemned. All of the, the um, witnesses have, been, have come out, and, and, it's, and it's, it's, we're dead to rights. And he goes, not guilty, you're free to go. It's amazing. And, and keep in mind, this idea is not um, like 
oh, you're going to be punished a little bit, but it's like time off for good behavior. You just, you have good behavior. You know how sometimes like someone, a criminal, they, they get a sentence, but then they're, they're kind of do good in, in, their, in their sentence and they give them time off for good behavior. It's not that. Our behavior doesn't matter, right? We're going to talk more about that. Um, it is not a second chance to do good in your life. It's not like the judge is like, well, I trust that you're going to be able to work this out and be a better person from here on out, so I'm going to set you free. Mm -mm, it's not that either. It's we're completely and utterly guilty. We deserve fully God's wrath, his full wrath, and he lets us go. Wow. And this justification is a gift. That's the second word. It's a gift. And keep in mind, sometimes we use words in certain ways, or at least it brings, brings some things to my mind. We think of gift, I think of like, oh, you've been a good little girl or little boy this year, you're going to get your Christmas gift, right? Which is like, because you've been good, like, here's kind of your payoff. Yeah, it's a gift, but if you're, if you're not good, you're going to get what in your stocking? Coal, right? Like, I don't want that. I don't know, did any parents ever give their kids coal? I, you know, I... I hope not, you know, but, but that probably would have been a good thing. But this is truly a gift. This is not a gift like um, you've been working 30 years at the same job and they give you a gold watch, right? Th that is a gift, but not this kind of gift. That's a, man, you know, you've done a great job for us, so here's sort of like a, the payoff at the end of it. It's not that. This gift is completely unearned. It, it's, it's not a payment for anything. It's not a response to any deserving actions on our part. It's not also a response to, to, to one idea that I hear sometimes. is like, God kind of likes us. So he's going to give us this gift. Yeah. No. No, no, no. We are utterly and completely messed up, right? We found that. In fact, he describes us as ungodly, which we talked about means literally everything that God is about his character, we are not that. Now, we're not likable. He doesn't give us his gift because he's like, ah, I kind of like you, here you go. No. It's completely, freely given. God was not compelled by anything but his own choice to give us this gift of justification. And it is by his grace Another word that you could just spend forever thinking about and talking about. It, 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 in its fundamental form, it means, to, it means beauty or, um, or attractiveness or charm. Um, it's, it, it's the goodness of a person, but it's one directional. It's me being good to you, not based at all on you. It's, it's sometimes translated in, in old translations as benefaction to be a benefactor. So it's, it's like the idea of some rich guy who's like, I want to give you know, $10,000 to this orphanage so that one of their kids can go to a nice private school. But, I, but, but he gives it anonymously, and he doesn't, uh, he doesn't even know the kid. Um, he's like, whatever kid you want to give it to, just give it to. It, it's, just, it's benefaction. It's just, I'm just going to give this up. It's not based on the kid. It's not based on anything but my desire to do good towards someone else. That's grace. 
And, and, and in, in God's context, this gets a little bit hard for us sometimes. I, think some, I know for me, sometimes I don't like this idea of grace, especially because I think I have some goodness in me. I don't like that God treats Hitler and Billy Graham equally. I don't like that. He should not do that, in my judgment. I don't like that he treats that Ariel Castro guy that we talked about a couple months ago and Mother Teresa the same. I don't like that. But he does because he is gracious. The fundamental idea here is that this, this grace is non-transactional. It, it's a little bit hard for us to understand because most things in our life are transactional, are just naturally transactional. Um, I, I like you because you're likable, right? I work at my job because I get paid. You stop paying me? Am I going to show up? No, right? It's transactional. I receive the McDonald's number nine meal at window number two because at window number one, I give them my credit card, right? It's how things work. This grace is non-transactional. It's one way only. It's from him to us. I might have shown this, this clip before, I'm not sure. But every time I think of grace, I think of this clip. I love this movie, for one. If you haven't seen it, it's fantastic. And I love this scene, best scene in the whole movie. And, and I think the best picture of this idea of grace. It's, it's from the, the non-musical version of Les Miserables. Um, it's got Liam Neeson, who's my favorite actor, so that, that helps, right? Um, but the context of this is, if you're not familiar with the story, Jean Valjean is this guy who um, is, is imprisoned for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread, but that's, that's a different thing. Um, and he does hard labor for 19 years. He finally gets out, but now he has this passport. It's a yellow passport, which tells everyone that he is a criminal. And so he can't get a job. He can't rent a house. He can't do anything in society with this yellow passport. But he comes across this bishop, this priest, pastor, who he, br he brings him in, much to his wife's chagrin, he brings this guy in, feeds him, puts him up for the night. And this is what Jean Valjean does.
Not good. I don't know. I love that. Um, grace, right? Completely undeserved. We were Jean Valjean. We were the ones who um, spit at God's uh, graciousness toward us, and He still chose to give us grace. Love that. And redemption. Part of that picture there that I also love, is, is the unshackling, right? He's co- he comes back in shackles, and he said, take the shackles off. That's redemption. It, it, it's, it's buying us back. The, the idea of, of redemption in the first century was, was usually used in regards to slaves. Slaves being bought out of freedom. Bought out of freedom, bought out to freedom. They were, um, they, were, they were freed for, for whatever they were worth, either their market value or whatever debt they still owed to their master. It was paid off. This was redemption. In fact, we have this idea in the Old Testament too. And for us, it's this idea that we have this immeasurable debt that hopefully we're convinced of at this point that we have this immeasurable debt that every sin that we have done has, is a count against us, and every count against us is death, a death sentence. But we've racked up all of this debt, and Jesus takes care of it. We have redemption in Christ 
Jesus. Isaiah 53 has a great, is great about this. I love the New Living uh, translation on this. It says, But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He took it all for us and bought us out of slavery. And he bought us out in a very particular way. The next word to pay attention to is this word propitiation. Because he says, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Propitiation means complete satisfaction. He paid the full amount of the debt that was owed for us. The sentence levied against us, he took the full punishment of it. Sometimes we can be fooled into this idea that it's kind of Jesus and, and me working together, right? It's, it's my efforts for God, and then Jesus kind of makes up the, the balance. No, 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 no. The full balance that was due, the full punishment that was due, was laid upon him. Every penny of it. And it cost him his life. His blood was poured out. His life was drained out of his body to fully pay for what we deserved. And to turn away God's wrath. Remember when we started in chapter 1 that this wrath of God is being poured out on mankind. He's mad. He's angry. We don't like to think of our God that way, but he is truly that way. And he's righteously angry. He should be angry. And not only is he angry, but he's doing something about it. And Jesus says, I'll take the wrath you deserve. I'll take not just a bit of it. We're not going to share it. I'm going to take every bit of it on myself. And it was publicly displayed. This is not some sort of a secret that happened in some back room or something. It's not sort of some sort of secret knowledge that you have to be a part of the right club to really understand and know. No, for all the world to see, he was laid out on a cross for everyone to see his work in justifying us, fully paying for what we owe. And what's great about all five of these is that all five of these have nothing to do with you and me. It has everything to do with his work. We, we weren't somewhat guilty. We were completely guilty. And he completely justified us. We weren't somewhat deserving of his gift. We weren't deserving at all of the gift. And he chose to give the gift. Grace isn't something, again, that's transactional. It's completely one way. We gave nothing back. Redemption from our slavery wasn't like uh, the Underground Railroad, where like, I did some work of getting free, and then the Underground Railroad helped me really get free. No, it's not like that at all. He completely freed us. 
by canceling the debt that our sins owed, freeing us from the slavery that we put ourselves in. And that payment for that release was not a partial payment, it was a full payment. Full payment for every, all of your worst moments, all of my worst moments. He paid them all. Point in your hand out if you want to fill it in. Is God put on a show of his justice and grace by pouring out the full, I guess I can put the point up here, huh? By pouring out the full wrath of our sins that our sins deserved on Jesus. God put on a show of his justice and grace by pouring out the full wrath that our sins deserved on Jesus. Some pretty good news, huh? We're going to take some time uh, this morning and just um, have some time to discuss in our, in our groups that we have. Um, I want to ask this question for, for us to discuss. Which of these words mean the most to you and why? I guess I could have said which of these concepts, because it's not just the word, but these, which of these concepts means the most to you and why? Justified, gift, grace, redemption, propitiation. Why don't you guys talk about that for a little bit and then we'll, um, we'll keep going. All right, we're going to keep rolling here. Um, you will have more of a chance to interact, so if you want to pick up the conversation you just, uh, if I rudely interrupted you right in the middle of something, you can do that. Um, the, the question that comes up at this point um, that, that Paul wants to address is, why in the world would God do that? Why in the world would he justify us by a gift of his grace uh, and offer full payment for uh, our redemption. Why would he do this? And um, sometimes the answer to that, you know, he m- might have answered because he, he loved us. Yep, he did love us. Sometimes, uh, again, I think we misunderstand the idea of, of him loving us, that he has, a lot of times when we talk about love, it's because I like have positive feelings for you. I love you, Right. No, that's not the kind of love that he expressed. Um, and that's not the reason he gives here. Um, we might think uh, he knew our potential for doing good. Like if he, would, if he just would justify us and, and uh, offer full payment and redemption, that he knows we would turn our life around. No, that's not why he did it. And I think that would be a fool's errand. He tells us why in, in, in uh, the second part of 25. He says this was to demonstrate his righteousness. To demonstrate his righteousness. Talking about God's righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the, demonst- for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. He did this. For his own glory. To demonstrate his own righteousness. His righteous character. And to put it on display for everyone. To show everyone who he is. He's always been that person. But it was like pulling back a curtain and going, here's the show. Here's a show of God's 
immense, unbelievable, unbelievably good, righteous character. That is, the counts against us mounted higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. Those counts had to be punished. They did. But, but God chose to pass over them, which literally means to let them go unpunished. Right? We, we got a continuance on our trial. Because the moment we did our first sin, whatever that was, anybody remember their first sin? I don't. Probably was pretty young, right? That moment, we should have been snuffed out. That is what our sin deserved. And in fact, I think we would, have, we would take sin a little more seriously if that were the case, right? If the first time anybody lied, they were like, right? I think we probably wouldn't lie very often. But that's what we deserved. Let's be snuffed out. But God chose a continuance. God chose to, to hold back on his judgment, on his final judgment of us. And, and he's been doing this since the beginning of time. In fact, prior to Jesus coming, the, the sacrifices could not take away sin. We know this. This is true. You can find it in the Hebrews. The sacrifices did not fully deal with sin. So no one pre-Christ should have, should live past this life, should have eternal life. But he chose in forbearance to wait, to hold off until Jesus could put on a show. Until Jesus could show us God's righteousness. And it's so that he would become both, the ju both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is a cool concept. Because if you think about it, God has to be just. That's who he is at his, at his core of his person, right? Which means he has to punish wrongdoing. If he doesn't, he's not just, right? Or if, if, if he kind of relented a little bit and didn't give the, the right punishment, the full punishment for each and every wrong, he would be less than fully just, right? Was that too convoluted what I just said right there? But right, he, he wouldn't be, he's got to give the full bore ju uh, judgment of every sin. He's got to give us what we deserve. And he has been perfect in his justice. Well, how can he be just? When we all deserve the moment we sin to go and be dead. Well, he put Jesus on display, right? And said, I'm going to punish your sin. But I'm going to punish my son. Who is willingly taking on your sin, your wrath that you deserved. He's willingly taking it on himself. So God can be just. And he was just. 
And his justice, justice was poured out in, in an ugly display of brutality and the death of a perfect, sinless, spotless life. And in doing that, in pouring out his wrath on Jesus, he also becomes the justifier. Because for those of us who trust in what Jesus did, those of us who say, my righteousness means nothing and I can't, I, I can't do anything good, Jesus, help, please. We get our wrath poured out on him and we don't get the wrath poured out on us. Hallelujah. We did the crime. We don't have to do the time. Wow. What a good God. What a good plan. And even though it's hard, I don't know if you feel this like I do, it's really hard to look at my wrath being poured on the Son of God. The wrath I deserve being poured on Him is really hard for me to look at. But there's beauty in that. Because it both demonstrates God is completely and utterly just. And it demonstrates that I'm justified. Yes. His, his wrath is fully satisfied and his love is fully expressed to us. So if you want to put this on your handout, this is the point. God put on a show of his justice and mercy... Put up here too. God put on a show of his justice and mercy by both releasing those who place their faith in Jesus from the penalty of our sin and punishing our sins in Jesus. God put on a show of his justice and mercy by both releasing those who place their faith in Jesus from the penalty of our sins and punishing our sins in Jesus. All right, next question to talk about in your groups. This one might be hard. If you had just a minute in an elevator to explain to someone how to be right with God, what would you say? You're on the 50th floor. You're going down to the first floor. What do you say? Go for it. All right, well, that was a lot longer than one elevator ride, so hopefully uh, got it all hashed out. Um, let's, uh, let's finish our uh, passage for this morning. Continuing on with verse 27. He says, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. The idea of boasting uh, is actually... Um, more complex than you might think. Uh, the, the, the idea in the first century had to do with, um, with your value and your worth and what you, you could contribute to society. Um, in many ways, it was kind of your identity. Um, 
which I know boasting in our minds doesn't have anything to do with those things, right? We think of someone who's kind of proud and is like, I'm awesome, you know, some, some football player who's like, I'm the best wide receiver that's ever lived, and they talk about themselves in the third person. Nate Smith's the best wide receiver that ever lived, you know, and then you're like, oh, gosh, boasting, right? But this, really the idea here in the first century was what you kind of hang your hat on. Like, when you get up in the morning, what, what makes you confident to go out in the day? Where do you place your confidence? Is it in your ability to do your job well? Is it in your, how smart you are? Is it in, you know, it's, it's that idea. It's all wrapped up in this idea of, of boasting. And so he's saying, what, what can we, like, hang our hat on in this? What, 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 where can we have confidence in this picture? Because it seems like you're talking a lot about what Jesus has done. What about me? What about my contribution? And he says it's, it's excluded. Like, you have no part here. You, you have no contribution. You can't hang your head on anything. And actually, this idea is, I think, is, is both scandalous in some ways and freeing in some ways. Because I like to think that I, ha- I contribute something, right? That I have some role to play, that, I, that I'm needed in some way. But, but I'm not. <laughs> so that's the scandalous part, right? It's, it's his one-way gift of grace, right? It's not a payment for my services. It's not a thank you for being a swell guy. It's one way. It's his redemption of us, his buying us out of slavery. It's his full payment for us, taking the full wrath of God. We didn't take some of it or part of it. It's his righteousness, not mine. Not, not my past righteousness, not my future righteousness. And while I don't love that idea, it's also freeing, right? Because I don't have to prove anything to God. I didn't have to prove anything to God in the past. I don't have to prove anything to God now. And I don't have to prove anything to God in the future, right? Let me get really scandalous. I can go sleep with another woman other than my wife. Not going to change a thing. Because I don't contribute anything. I can go murder someone. I can actually go on a shooting spree. Murder 12 people. Not going to change a thing. Is that scandalous? Yeah. It's, it's why the, the news of the gospel that Paul was preaching was so, there was so much opposition to it. Because they were like, it sounds like you're just, you're just wanting to create a bunch of sinning Christians out there. And he'll address that here in a sec, or he'll hint at what's going to happen here in a second. But I don't like this idea of being a freeloader. In fact, in my own personality, I'm just telling you 
confession here. I, I have a hard time like receiving help. I love to help. But I can remember the first time like I lost my job, you know, when Melissa and I were young, I lost my job. We couldn't make rent. And like we're going to her parents for some help and I just could not handle that. Most probably remembers how I I mean that was just so hard for me. I I can't just I can't just take money from them, you know? She's like, they're my parents, it's fine, no big deal. You know, I'm like, no, I can't do it, right? I don't like this idea of freeloading. Seems irresponsible to receive such an extravagant gift without giving something in return. Without having some part in it. But that's the reality. And he's kind of saying, you just got to suck it up, Nate. Right? That's just the way it is. You don't contribute anything here. It's excluded. And then he goes on, he says, by what kind of law? By what kind of, and law here is not like Old Testament law. It's like, it's like by what kind of principles, like what kind of standards would you set up to help you contribute to this, to this thing that God's doing? Of works? Uh, he, uh, he's already figured that out, right? Our works, our goodness, our doing things for God, that's a complete and utter failing situation, right? We have no chance with works. And some, and this may be where we need to kind of change some of our thinking, some people think, well, yeah, it wasn't works to bring me to salvation, but it's now like I have to contribute something for my ongoing salvation, right? Nope. Works, works are out. So, so what principle do I live by now? He says, no, but by the law of faith. Here's the principle. Here's how you live your life. Here's, here's how things go. Faith is the way to go. You started by faith. You continue by faith. You'll end by faith. All about him, and it's us trusting in all of him. He says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It's not even the same game. Remember that illustration, the game show illustration? That's game one. We play game two, which is faith. Jesus stepping up to the plate. Jesus playing the game for us. That is the game. And it was the game that brought us to salvation, and it's the game that's going to continue to save us. Paul has this great statement where he says, we're we're the ones who are continually being saved, right? Yeah, it was a one-time thing, but we're also being saved daily, moment by moment. It's an ongoing salvation for eternity. And it's apart from works, completely by faith. He says, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. He's just rehashing something we've already talked about and he's going to talk about it again in chapter 4. But it doesn't matter what color, creed, group you associate with. It doesn't matter. It's all the same system. There's not multiple systems here. There's not multiple games. There's only one game to be played and it's the faith game. And that's whether you are Jew, whether you're Greek, whether you are evangelical, Catholic, Buddhist, uh, Hare Krishna, whatever, 
Faith is it. Whatever category you're in. And, and so when you, you think about this, it, it works itself out in so many people I talk to who are not believers have a hard time coming to church or even having like a conversation about Jesus because they think, I've got to like uphold some sort of standard. And part of that, I think, is we contribute to this idea. I, I, have, to, I have to admit, been in the church long enough, I think we contribute to this idea that we have to somehow, there's some sort of principles that you have to live by. Like, stop going to the bar, okay? I mean, if you're going to come here, you need to stop going to the bar, right? Um, I, I just, you need to have certain rituals in your life. You need to, you need to be open up your Bible at least three times a week. Right? There, there's some sort of good things that you need to continue doing. And so people go, what's the standard? What do I need to do? I've actually had these conversations with people who actually do want to seek Jesus. They're like, just tell me what I need to do. Give me the list of rules. We like that, right? Like, just tell me. Go, come to church on Sunday? Yep. Okay. Psh, check. Right? Uh, okay. Would, would the churches have like a serve day where we're like cleaning up the property? I'll, I'll be there. Check. Just tell me, what, what, what do I need to do? Nothing. Right? But you don't understand, I'm not very nice. That's fine, it has nothing to do with whether you're nice or not. But you don't understand, I, I'm cheating on my wife. It's fine. It, salvation has nothing to do with that. Uh, um, I destroy relationship after relationship after relationship. That's fine, it has nothing to do with that. I put on a good show when I'm at church, but if you saw the rest of my life, it's fine. It has nothing to do with that. Or, or, or the flip side, and this is where we really need to deconstruct, is someone who goes, you know what, the good news is, I'm a really pretty good person. Like, I think I can actually come to church and make that place better. Because I'm, I'm kind of cheery. Right? I'm super nice. People like me. Or I, I've grown up in my, my in church my whole life. I, I go every time the doors are open. I you know I do my devotions. I you know I, I do all the things I'm supposed to do. Well, that's not good news at all. Because that has nothing to do with salvation. Absolutely nothing to do with it. Your salvation doesn't come through that. And if that's where you're placing your confidence, Jesus is of no help to you. No help. Zero to contribute to your life. You've got to empty yourself of all that. So then, of course, the flip side, and I know anytime I have these conversations, there's at least a few of you out there that are thinking, well, if it has nothing to do with personal behavior, why isn't everybody saved? Right? Because it has nothing to do with what we do. It's by a law of faith, though, right? He just said that. That's the principle. The reason why not everyone will be saved, even though some of us like that idea, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want everyone, I don't want anyone to go to that bad place. And to be more specific, I don't want my dad to go to that bad place. I don't want my cousin to go to that bad place. And so, I like the idea of, it has nothing to do with work, so we're good. 
No, but there is something very, very much required. And that is that choice to step back and let Jesus take the lead. To empty ourselves of confidence in ourselves and place our confidence in him. It's faith. Got to do that. That's the principle. And it's a very, very simple idea. It doesn't have to be complex. Rachel said it well in our group. Yeah. I'm, less of me and more of him, right? I, I, I can't put confidence in myself. I've got to put my confidence in him. Where is your identity? Where is your self-worth? Where is your security? Is it in Christ alone? Or is it self-confidence? I'm big enough. I'm strong enough. I'm talented enough. I'm moral enough. I'm religious enough. Or is your confidence placed in some sort of relationship, a romantic relationship or a family relationship? They value me, so I have value. Or a group identity? I'm, I'm proud to be an American. Or it's proud to be American, right? You don't have that A there. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a member of the military. Honor me. That's where my worth comes from. I'm, I'm a member of a certain race. That's just a little bit better than your race. Not a ton, but just a little bit. I'm a part of this political party. That political party? Are you, are you the Christian? Right? Listen to Paul in two other places talk about this idea. Galatians 6.14, But may it never be that I would boast, I would place my confidence in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else. There's this long section in Philippians chapter 3. He says, If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, in my own abilities, I have far more than any of you. I will win that argument, he's saying. Circumcised on the eighth day, nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, blah, 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 found blameless. I count all things to be loss in view of the value, surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, garbage, so that I may gain Christ. This is faith. I don't place my confidence in anything. Definitely not myself. I place my confidence in Him. I find my identity in Him and what He has done. So again, we get back to this question that I posed here a second ago. Does that mean that all of God's instructions on how to live life are out the window? Like God has given us instructions on how to live life, so we, do we just toss all that stuff out? And that's, of course, the question that Paul wants to address here because he recognizes that people are going to have that question when, when we come to this thing where our behavior has nothing to do with our just, justification, that he's paid it all, that I don't have to contribute anything. So do we just throw it all out the window? Verse 31, he says this, Do we then nullify the law through faith? We might assume that. Let's just toss out our Bibles. I trust in Jesus. I don't need anything. 
He says, may it never be. This is the, that set of words that I expressed. Paul's already used it a couple of times, which means like, heck no. Like, he, exclamation point. He's like, no, 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 no. Definitely not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Here's the crazy thing. And he's going to flesh this out in, in a chapter or two here. Faith actually causes us to establish what God's principles are, why, what he laid out for humanity, how he intended humanity to live and be and do. Everything he's ever desired for us as humans can be accomplished and will be accomplished by those who walk by faith. crazy. It's a crazy upside-down idea, and he's going to flesh it out later. I'd love to talk more about it, but he's going to flesh it out later. But never, never get the idea, I think Paul's saying, don't, don't ever get that idea in your head. That somehow, because we trust completely in what Jesus has done, and that our behavior has nothing to do with our salvation, that somehow that means this life of faith is actually going to cause us to be a bunch of saved sinners. It's not. Point on your handout is, we can't claim any credit for our salvation. And that point is not correct. That's on there, so don't look there. We can't claim any credit for our, our salvation. Let me read the bottom and uh, finish with a question here. The long list of charges against us were satisfied as a completely unearned and undeserved present of the buying of our freedom in full with the payment of a perfect life lost. In the cross of Christ, we have demonstrated for us the character of our God who is both the one who cares about us enough to create good standards and hold us accountable to them, and the one who has done every necessary, everything necessary to repair and restore us to himself. This was all done to show off his perfect character. All that is left to us is to trust in it. I want to finish with this question, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll end here. So after you guys have a chance to, um, to discuss it, um, Maybe uh, someone in your group can pray and kind of end your time, and we'll be done for this morning. It says this, What, apart from Christ, might you be tempted to place your confidence in to find your identity, value, and self-worth? And how can we ensure we only boast in Christ? Let you guys talk about that. We'll be done.